0: you're listening to the living word church podcast to learn more about living word church and our service times visit us online at livingwordli.org today's message comes from our lead pastor doug jansen My dad did a great job uh, preaching last week and and one of the comments that came back of course is wow he's so big he that guy is just really tall and somebody said I know how tall he was but Doug when you were standing on the stage next to him it was like what is going on up there and uh, you know all throughout my life my dad has just been bigger you know and um, it was I always used to laugh at like third grade recess when someone would say my dad could beat up your dad I'd be like dude not not even you haven't seen him yet but when you see him like and he'd walk in and just prove everybody wrong not that he'd start beating other people people's dads up, but like just his sheer size, you know, and um, just, you know, he's been bigger, not just in size though, whether it's construction projects or car issues, like he's just been the one who's been able to be big enough to deal with it, you know, and uh, as we look at the book of Daniel, we see that it has many themes, but one of those, really the themes and one of the ways to sum it up is just to say that God is bigger. And we almost named this series God is Bigger. I told Steph, our design person, hey, we're going to call the series God is Bigger and this and that. And and then I realized that we need to change the name because, you know, the fact that God is big is incredible and it's true and it's right and it's real. But we need more than big, okay? See, like you get all the biggest football players on the field at the same time. That's wonderful. But if they don't have a plan, they're not going to beat the other team. Just ask the Jets and the Giants. They know all about this, right? And so big is great, but you need big plus a plan. And that is our awesome sovereign God. The book of Daniel is going to show us a God who's really big with a really great plan. And Daniel also shows us that God is so big and so able to work all of the things going on in our lives toward the good of our lives and for his purposes. And so that means the mistakes you and I have made. That means the flat out sin you guys have, you know, you guys, just you guys know that we've all committed. That means the wonderful things that we've all done and the decisions we made that were right and good. All of it he's able to use for an amazing plan. Now some of you guys are a little bit stressed though, because I think we hear this word "sovereign" and we begin to think about something, and I think we begin to, to, to synch, uh, synchronize this this word "sovereign" with the word "robot." right like if god is sovereign then does that just make us robots you know like are we just those those little chess pieces on the board and he just kind of is moving us and we have you know no ability to choose or no ability to make decisions like are we literally just pawns in his you know his, in his game right and, and i want you to know that's not what the bible teaches what the bible teaches is that when you make a choice you really make a choice your choices matter other people's choices matter but we also see that the bible teaches this kind of tension that god is big enough to work out his plan and orchestrate his plan and take all the things that we do and don't do and use them according to his plan and bring good out of it all. And it's this tension that we see in the scriptures. And you'll read one story and say, I'm convinced that God is just sovereign and people have no choice. And you read another story, it says, well, I think it's all on us. And, And no, it's this beautiful, wonderful blending together of what God does where we make real choices and yet he's accomplishing a sovereign, good, wonderful plan. And so, The idea that God is sovereign is challenged in our society, and it's challenged in the book of Daniel. As we go through the book of Daniel, you're going to find some people who don't believe in the sovereignty of God, or don't believe that he's big, don't believe that he's got a plan, don't believe that he's there at all. And so we're going to work through some of that, because maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're struggling with some of that as well. I want, for those of you who don't know Jesus, for you to get just a clear picture of who he is, that you're going to see God's love for you through this book. You're going to Find peace and security through the themes that we're going to find here in this book. So we're going to really answer two questions today, and we're going to dig deep into both. The first one is this. What do we do when God seems to be absent against us or powerless? You might be saying, Doug, this kind of seems like a theme you've been bringing up lately. Like like it seems like if I look back over the last few months, this question in various forms has come up. And you might say, Doug, why do we keep doing that? Well, I'll tell you two reasons. First off, it's in the scriptures a lot. Like, we're just going through books of the Bible. We went through the book of Acts. My dad sta- uh, spoke from Genesis last week, the story of Joseph. This question could have been asked in that story. And here we are in Daniel asking the same question again because it just comes up a lot in the Bible. God wants to say a lot about the lie that he is absent against you or powerless. I think the second reason that we talk about it a lot is because it comes up in our lives a lot. We go through loss. We experience pain, a hardship, and difficulty, and these are the questions that come up. God, where are you? Are you absent? Why aren't you doing something to stop this or change this or move more quickly, right? And so this is a really important question. Now, I want you to know I'm not just going to get up here and tell you what I said in the last two or three parts of Acts. See, the wonderful thing about the Word of God is this. If you think about a gun, okay, if someone shoots a gun, most guns are going to shoot a single bullet, right? It's going to take out a single target. But when there's a shotgun involved, that shotgun bullet explodes into different pellets that can take out a number of things and covers a wide range, right? And so as we look at the word of God and we hear these thoughts in our head, God isn't for you, he's against you, he's powerless or absent. I'm not just giving you a single shot to try to shoot at that lie. I'm going to give you a a shotgun, right, to use, a, a whole bunch of pellets that can shoot out and flare out and take out each one of those lies. And so in the book of Acts, at the end of the series, we equipped you with some things to be able to take a hold of and use when you hear those thoughts in your head. And today you're going to hear some new things that I pray really encourage you when you think God's abandoned me, he's against me, or he's powerless. And so That's question number one. Question number two is this. How do we live in an increasingly anti-God culture? Now, this is going to matter when it comes to, like, the daily decisions that we make, like, on a smaller scale, you know? Like, I think the tendency can be to be swept along with the current, right? Like, everybody makes perverted jokes. I might as well, too. Everybody looks at porn. I might as well, too. Everybody lies to close a deal. I might as well, too. Seems like nobody's sharing their faith anymore. Maybe I'll stop sharing my faith, right? Like, those are the daily decisions, and they matter, And they're important, but I think it's even bigger than that. I think that there's an overall surrender to the Lord that we need to talk about today and in this series. Because there's this anti-God culture, and we need to learn how to not just say, well, I'm not going to tell a dirty joke. I mean, don't tell a dirty joke. But I think it's even bigger. I think it goes back to the heart. Like the dirty joke coming out of our mouth is really just really an indicator of what's happening deeper inside our heart. The dirty joke not coming out of our mouth is an indicator of what's happening deeper on a broader scale in our whole relationship with God. And we're going to make that clear. Maybe you're going, look, I don't really quite understand what, what you're, you know, kind of pointing at right here with that illustration. Well, you're going to see clearly, I pray, by the time that we leave today. If you're not a father of Jesus, I hope to put some objections that you might have about God to rest. I hope that you will see his love for you and his presence in your life. So everybody say 605 BC. BC. All right, that's when this story starts. And everybody say Daniel. Daniel. Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, and it's in the Old Testament. It's the first half of the Bible. Now here's the thing. This was written, and Daniel's life was lived out before Jesus came. But throughout the book of Daniel, we're going to see beautiful references and pictures of Jesus coming. Because God would show Daniel different pictures of his presence, of what he would come and do for us, even on the cross. And so it's incredible. It's also one of the handful of Old Testament books that was written in two languages. It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. It's written in Hebrew because it was written to the Jews, but Aramaic because most of Daniel's life was lived out with the non-Jews. And we're going to get into that story right here. So here we go. Daniel 1, 1 says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Everybody say Jehoiakim. That's just a fun word to say, Right? It's just a very bouncy word. I don't know. Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So Nebuchadnezzar is coming against the city of Jerusalem. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. We got to just pause right there. Okay? It says the Lord delivered Jehoiakim. The, 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 the Jewish king, the, the king of Jerusalem, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Now listen, the Lord delivered is an interesting interesting phrase because Daniel is telling us something. He's telling us that, that this wasn't by accident, right? It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar just came. He had these plans to take over Jerusalem, and so Jerusalem is defeated, and Jehoiakim is, is you know, now, okay, you're going to go with Nebuchadnezzar now because that was just the natural random order of events. No, it's very purposeful, right? It says the Lord delivered. There was a delivery made. Like, like when someone dropped off DoorDash at your house this week, it was on purpose, right? It wasn't random. There was a delivery made. We all want to be delivered in life, don't we? Or I want to be delivered from debt and sickness and, and scary situations. Baldness would be nice. Like I want to be delivered from all these things. But none of us want to be delivered over to our enemy. And that's exactly what happened here. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim over to his enemy. Why would God do this? Which leads us to our first question. What do we do when God seems to be absent against us or powerless? So in this series, this first first part of the message is kind of like an introduction to the whole book, right? And you know how sometimes you're watching a show on TV and uh, there's like this cliffhanger ending, and then they'll show you a little preview of what's coming, you know, unless you're watching on Netflix, because then they just dump the whole series there, right? And then you just sit there for days drooling, look at the screen, and you're like, I haven't walked in five days, but this is an amazing series, right? I can't feel my left leg, but I, that was worth it, right? So it's not worth it, by the way. <laughs> Exercise people, all right. But when it's not Netflix, right, they'll often give you a little preview, or, or they'll break up a movie series, and it will, you know, end really abruptly on a cliffhanger, and then they'll put a little thing at the end of the movie after the credits to give you a little hope for the next movie. I want to give you a little bit of a a preview of where we're going to head to encourage you as we look at the book of Daniel. When you feel like God is absent or powerless or against you, basically there's a few things that we need to remember. Everybody say remember. That word remember is going to be key for us today. There's five things that we can remember when it feels like God's against us or powerless or absent, the first one is this, God's ways are not our ways. They're just not. You know, like if you came to my house today, which that would be a lot of you, so maybe don't, but like, you know, some of you can come today. <laughs> if you came to my house today, there'd be a certain way we do things, right? Because it's my house, right? It's just the way we do it, okay? And, and we forget so often that this is God's world, And his ways are not our ways. And I'll just be real with you. There have been times I've certainly looked at God's ways and thought, man, I wouldn't have done it like that. Like, why'd you do it like that? Can you speed it up? Can you slow it down? Can you stop this? Can you undo that? Sometimes I wish, like on a Mac, you know, you have the Command Z, the undo, right? I wish we could just undo some things. But I think it's really powerful, and I really greatly respect Daniel for just saying it like it is. The Lord handed Jehoiakim, over to his enemy. But there was this purposeful, sovereign plan at play here, and God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes we need to remember that and add to it this next piece, that God is good. Amen? He's good. And if God is good, then that means his plans have to be good. He can't be perfectly good, and the definition of good, and the beautiful, wonderful representation of goodness, and then his plans somehow not be. And so, All the stuff we go through, all the things we've walked through, the disappointments and and where we are in life and what we hoped would happen and hasn't happened and all of it somehow is going to work for good. Now, what good was God trying to accomplish? Well, that's a really big, you know, zoomed out picture and we'll get to some of that. But one thing I can tell you today for sure is that the Israelites needed a time of discipline. And the parents in the room said, amen, and the kids ran, right? Nobody wants discipline. But we as parents, we know how important discipline is. We know and we love our kids and that's why we do it. And, and the Lord, listen, everybody look at me real quick. The Lord had been so patient and Israel had been so evil. And God was so patient and said, guys, change your ways or a time of discipline is going to come. Don't do that or a time of discipline is going to come. My buddy was disciplining his uh, two-year-old Emily. She was in the bath and she... Take, kept taking the cup and pouring it out over the side of the bath onto the bathroom floor. Now, first off, maybe my buddy shouldn't give, give her the cup, right? But she's in there with the cup doing this repeatedly. And he, finally, he goes, Emily, if you do that one more time, you know, this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And, and, and she does it again. You know, you, you know how we often will threaten things as parents and then not follow through? So, that, you know, this, I'm sure this was happening there. And so then she fills it up, holds it over the side of the tub. He goes, Emily, do not do that. And she just looks at him and goes, what will happen? Ooh right? So he tells her, what will happen? He says, this is exactly what's going to happen. And she just dumps it out all over the floor. She figured it was worth it to pay the price. But I'm telling you, the Lord with Israel has been like, please stop doing this. Stop doing that. Stop living in those ways. And and, you know, some of you guys might be saying, wait a minute, so God disciplined them for being far from him? Like, does that not Settle well with some of you in the room? Like kind of like going like, like, that's a little weird. Why would God discipline them? Just because they're not doing the things that he wants them to do and they're turning their backs on Him? Well, because the Lord knows that he is the air that we breathe, everybody. He knows he is the best thing for us. He knows that his ways are going to protect us, right? Like the kid running out towards traffic. Every, one of, every parent in this room is going to run after that kid to try to bring them back. I don't care if we have to tackle them to the ground before they get hit by a truck. We're going to do what it takes to stop that kid from heading out onto that street. And the Lord is bringing this time of discipline on it, but he's, he's got a good plan. He's, he's a good God, and it always works for good. And he knows that wisdom and joy and satisfaction are all wrapped up in closeness with him. And so he allows this time of discipline and delivers the king over. Another thing to remember, when God seems absent, when he seems powerless or against us, we've seen that he is good. We've seen that his ways are not our ways. And we just need to see this one. And we need an amen after this because first service didn't amen after and I had to ask him to. But God is God. Can we get an amen? Right? Like it was real quiet in here after first service. God is God. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, don't we have times where we go, God, who are you? To, or why did you? Or what are you thinking? Or, and listen, God's feelings aren't hurt. He's big, right? He's okay. He's not going to pout it off on the side in the corner and ask the, the Holy Spirit for some comfort. You know, like, like he's all right. He can handle our, our, our questions and our disappointments. But our 21st century Western minds need to go, all right, he's God. God is God. He's the one on the throne and listen Daniel as we're going to see in the story who had a really difficult life by the way was so thankful God was God and we're going to see his love for God and we're going to see his adoration for God and so I've given you three things so far we're going to add two in just a minute but three things that we can remember everybody say remember remember when it feels like God is distant when he's abandoned us or powerless let's keep going so God had delivered the king of Babylon, or excuse me, the king of Jerusalem, over to Babylon, and then says along with some of the articles from the temple of God, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So it wasn't just the king that was handed over; it was the items of worship that the Israelites would have used, and now they're in the Babylonians' temple to their gods. Right? Uh, this word here, Shinar. Everybody say Shinar. That's the Hebrew word for Babylonia, and it literally means a place that is hostile to God. That's where the articles from the temple of worship are now in that temple. And Tom Constable says this, it seemed that Yahweh, which is just another name for God, had either become impotent or had abandoned his chosen people the gods of assyria and babylon had apparently triumphed over him his temple lay in ruins his capital had been ravaged and stood empty and vulnerable and his people were living as unhappy captives in a foreign land and if all that were true god wouldn't be a big sovereign god he would be weak and small and limited but you have to know that none of that is true and it wasn't just the people on the line it wasn't just the king and it wasn't the unhappy people it was God's reputation because in those days, if one nation conquered another, it was believed that the gods of that nation triumphed over the God of the other nation. So yes, it's God's people on the line, but it's also God's reputation. What do we do when God seems to be absent against us or powerless? We remember God's ways are not our ways. God is good and God is God. Let's add two more. God's doing more, everybody. Number four, God's doing more than we can see right now. He's doing more than we can see right now. Some of you desperately need to hear that today. Because our vision sometimes can become so caught up on just today, just right now, just what I'm feeling, just this moment. I'm about you. Man, I can have swings in a moment. I'm swings in every and a half hour. You can catch me in one moment and I'm high and I'm thankful to God, and the next moment I'm struggling and I'm hurting and I'm sad. And I mean, we can just be so moment to moment and so up and down, but God is doing some things that we just cannot see right now. It's so easy to have our hearts hardened toward God. It's so easy to question him. But the book of Daniel is going to be a great reminder that a sovereign God is doing things we never could have dreamed of. Let's add one more thing. Number five, God has a plan. It's not all random. It's not all random. There's a purpose to what we go through. The things that are good, the things that are bad, all these truths that we've remembered today, they display a powerful, sovereign God, and he was sovereign over Israel's circumstances, their failures, their successes, and their limitations. Same is true for you and for me. We're going to continue to read Daniel chapter 1. I have to just point out, this is a really cool graphic that Steph made, and the whole chapter 1 of Daniel is right here written in this blue, so we're not going to put any more verses on the screen. You're just going to read. I'm just kidding. But I just thought that was a great design. Uh, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, that's not as fun to say as Jehoiakim, uh, chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So we've seen the king delivered over to Babylon, the temple objects delivered over to Babylon, and now people. Young men, the the smart guys, the good-looking guys, the talented guys are all brought to Babylon, taken from their families, technically slaves in this foreign land. And there's something interesting that I need you guys to just pay attention to that I think when we picture Daniel, I don't know if many of you guys who grew up in the church, you picture Daniel in the lion's den. I always picture like an old guy. You know, um, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you guys like kind of picture Daniel sort of like, like me, you know, like middle aged very handsome, you know, like you know, sort, of, sort of along those lines, you know. But the truth is, Daniel at this point was very likely a teenager. The Hebrew word that was used to describe the men that were brought actually translates to child. So just imagine your 17-year-old son, brother, grandson, taken from you, brought to a foreign land, and now has to try to figure out what life is going to be like completely enslaved in a pagan, godless, anti-God culture. And so for the first several chapters of Daniel, that's who I need you to picture. After chapter 4, it starts to talk about Daniel's later life, but that's where we are for the first several chapters. But listen, God sovereignly had a plan here. Daniel's life was likely way harder than yours and mine but God had a plan. God was sovereignly working. And what I love about Daniel is his ability to continue to walk with God, even through the pain, continue to walk through God, even through the difficulty. that his eyes were still on the Lord through it all. Let's keep going. Verse five, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and, gave, excuse me, and wine from the king's table. This is going to be important in just a minute. So the king wants to give them food and wine from his table. It goes on, they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. That's going to matter in just a minute too. Daniel, the name Belshazzar, excuse me, Belshazzar. to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Guys, these are new names given. Now, this is important. Their names previously had to do with their relationship with God. Like Daniel's name means God is my judge. Their new names are references to Babylonian gods. So just imagine, like you talk about an anti-God culture. You talk about a dark place to try to live for God. Their names are changed. And in this culture when names were changed, that was a way of them thinking that this was going to somehow assert authority over them because now that their names are Babylonian names, they're going to that much quickly, more quickly adopt to our culture and to our beliefs and maybe even to our gods. The meaning of names was a huge deal back in the day. Not so much today, or at least I hope not because I don't know, besides my dad here, I don't know that many know what my name means from the dark river. Thank you very much. It was just so funny because growing up in an awesome Christian home, you had the Christian meaning of names. All right. So there's like two different ways to look at this. There's like the real meaning of names, which you could just Google. And then there's the Jesus, you know, Christian version. And I was always told up until Google existed and I could Google it on my own that my name meant seeker of light, but it's from the dark river. (laughs) And I guess if you're from a dark river, you are seeking light and possibly a change of clothes in a shower. But (laughs) Back in the day, man, the name change was huge, which again, I, you know, it's not in the verses, but I'm guessing Daniel had to be thinking like, God, what is happening? Is anybody in the room 17? Just raise your hand real quick. Anybody in the room 17? So, I mean, yeah, that was a stupid question. My daughter's here. (laughs) Anybody here 17? I'm just wondering, I don't know. (laughs) Could we be lucky enough to, but isn't that crazy? I mean, my daughter, I can't fathom, right? She's just taken, somebody rolls in, takes her, along with many of the other young people in the room, and they're just gone, and what is going through their heads, right? What thoughts would they have as they're separated from their families and up to their eyeballs in this pagan anti-God culture? And I just wanna like, question us. Like, where do we find ourselves? I think we should be thinking about our own selves right now. I think we should be thinking about our own lives and, and like, what it looks like for us personally, but also our nation. Like, our nation has become so anti-God. It's so far from what the Lord has brought us to in the past and where we were even 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, the time when I was growing up as a kid, like, it's just so different. And I think we need to take great comfort in knowing that God is up to more than we know. that He can see what we can't see, because I'm not a doom and gloom prophet, and I believe the Lord can always change things in a heartbeat. In fact, I would argue that what's happening on Long Island is incredible that God is doing some incredible things like back in the day when I was growing up on Long Island there was like three big churches and we were all enemies and no one could go to the other church like like, now there are, like, hundreds of amazing churches, and I text with other pastors weekly, and we hang out, and we grab lunch, or we're rooting for each other, and we're celebrating with each other. Like, there's a unity. There's a whole bunch of, like, new people coming to know Jesus. Like, if I could tell you how many people are attending my friend's churches and coming to know Jesus, like, God's doing something awesome. So I'm not here to be all doomy and gloomy today, but man, There's something God, I believe, wants to do even in the midst of this anti-God culture that is increasing in our world. What do we do when God seems to be absent against us or powerless? Remember God's ways are not our ways. We remember that God is good, that God is God. We remember that he's up to things we can't see right now, and we remember that he has a plan. I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm slowly losing my voice. I'm hoping I'm going to make it through the message tonight or today, and tonight's a whole other story. We'll see what happens at the seven. But in our story, Daniel is surrounded by, stuck in this pagan culture, which leads us to question too: how do we live in an an increasingly anti-God culture? Verse eight, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So as we read before, the food and the wine were coming from the king's table, and Daniel goes, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to drink it. Now, Two reasons why. First off, the food and wine was probably dedicated to the Babylonian gods. And number two, some of the food was likely um, against the Israeli laws for what Daniel could eat. But just think about it. it seems like, come on, man, it's, just, it's just food, right? But Daniel, think about it, ready? Can't choose where he's going to live. Can't choose what he does on a daily basis. Doesn't even have the same name anymore. But this I have a choice. This I can make a stand on. This I can decide not to compromise on. Look at me, everybody in the room. Some of you guys are like, yeah, but man, you don't know what kind of pagan school I'm going to, my pagan workplace, like how far from God my home is, like whatever it might be. There's always something we can find to honor God with. And some of you guys might be thinking, man, everyone at work jokes this way, right? Everybody's looking at porn. Everybody's cl- lying to close the deal. But man, no, we, we can we can live a different way. It might feel like the smallest little part of your life that you have control over, that you can choose something that would honor the Lord. But man, it's incredibly powerful when we do. And as we see here with Daniel, and we'll see throughout this book, this little choice. Look at me. Everybody in the room that's like 20 and 100, just look at me real quick. This little choice that seems so inconsequential would literally be something God uses to transform the rest of Daniel's life and influence this little choice about this food right here, this one little compromise. I'm just saying today, if I can encourage those of you guys who are younger, man, just godly character, right? Like standing up for what you know the Lord has. Look, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to fall short. Who saves us? Who saves us? Yell it out. Jesus. Jesus alone, right? You don't save you, right? And so it's not about saving you. And what saves us alone? What saves us? Shout it out Okay, so him, his death, his resurrection, his grace, right? So if I go out this week and I'm trying to like, you know, you're in your school and you're trying to not say the, the perverted joke and yeah, oh, I slipped or oh man, I, I don't know. I just, I, I lost my temper again. I said I wouldn't like, okay, the Lord is so good. He's, he's who saves you. But man, what a powerful thing can happen. We're gonna aim our life at his ways and what he has for us. And guys, this is so much bigger than the table and the food for Daniel. It's so much bigger than that. Think about it. Why would Daniel not compromise on the food? Because his heart, his whole heart was surrendered to the Lord, right? Non-compromising on the food was just the outward manifestation of what was really going on in his heart. Listen, if Daniel's heart wasn't surrendered to God by this whole upsetting thing going on in his life, if he wasn't surrendered to God in here about where he lives, being away from his family, serving in a place he doesn't want to serve, called the name he doesn't want to be called, he would never have chosen to honor God out here. So my question for you is, yes, are you careful about the jokes you say? Are you careful about the stuff you look at online? Are you careful about how you close the deal? Yes. But even deeper, are you surrendered to God in all the other ways of your life? Are you surrendered to him about the disappointment that you might be in the midst of, the loss that you experienced, the person who's no longer here that you love and you prayed they wouldn't die and they did die? Like, is that all Like anger and and jaded. And listen, some of you guys are very, like walking right through this. It's right, it's new, it's fresh. Some of you have lost loved ones just in the last month. But what does it look like to surrender? Because when we surrender that big stuff, that's when this little stuff begins to flow out of us. And so maybe there's a loss in your life. Maybe there's, maybe it's just frustration. Like I thought I'd be in such a different place in my life. I thought we'd have kids by now. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd stay married and I'm not, Right? I just think the Lord is calling us to surrender because that's the answer to the question today. How do we live for God in an increasingly anti-God culture? It's it's about surrendering to him, doing it his way. God, here's my heart. I'm beat up. I'm broken. I'm hurt. My heart's torn apart. I just need you, God. Would you put it back together? Would you put the pieces of my life back together? Would you take my future, right? I've, I've talked with you guys candidly about loss in my life, right? My mom passing away many years ago. And I can look back on that, and of course, I wish my mom was here. But you can see good; you can see what God's done. I think about what I've walked through—being uh, sick in the hospital, all that, all that I went through. I, I, I really hope I never have to go through that again. But man, I could look back and see good. I can think about my wife, who's 16 years out on chronic illness now, and you know, woke up today feeling like garbage. You know, it, I, I don't know why today, but I can look back and I can see some good, right? And so, some of us. It's just about surrendering to the Lord. There's something so beautiful that happens when we go, Lord, I don't get it right now, but I'll surrender. And we look back a year or two from now and we go, oh, okay, the Lord was doing that. Because he's a sovereign God, a big God, a great God, a powerful God who's got a mighty plan. I was talking with a guy between services and the last I talked to him, he was stressed out. He was a mess. He was going through it. And I just said to him after the service, how you doing, man? What's going on? He said, I just have to tell you that just in the last couple weeks, I've just seen God bring nothing but get out of my situation. And he's still right in the middle of it. Nothing's changed on a practical level for him. But he's just going, I just see God all over it. That's because he's surrendered, right? And so how do we live in an increasingly anti-God culture? We do it God's way. We surrender to him. And I'm telling you, when we surrender the big stuff, that's when the little stuff flows out of us. Daniel could only honor God at the table because he'd honored God in his heart before then. If this was angry and jaded, this never would have happened. Daniel had some things going for him, but I want to tell you something today, and I bring this up about every two months because I think we need the reminder. We have so much more going for us than Daniel. You know why? Two reasons. You could probably say them with me, some of you. The first one, Daniel lived before Jesus came, so he looked ahead to a promise that Jesus would come. Guys, we look back at a finished work. Jesus already did it for us, so that so much more should make me surrender to him. second thing you and I have that Daniel didn't have is the Spirit of God in him at all times. Back in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would be on people at a time, and they'd go do something great, and God would show up, and it would be powerful. But you and I walk with the Holy Spirit in us at all times, and Daniel wasn't saved because he honored God. He's saved because he looked ahead to what Jesus would do. And you and I are saved not just because we honor God, not at all because we honor God. We're saved because of what Jesus did. And so he looked ahead in hope, and we look back in awe. So we have so much more going for us. Let's go on to verse 9. You know what, I'm going to have to, I'm running out of time here today and a voice. So I'm going to summarize a little bit for you. Okay, this is going to have to become the Doug Jansen translation, the DJT version. So um, basically what happens is God shows favor to Daniel and um, he tells the guy that's over him, look, I'm not going to eat that food. And the guy says, well, if you don't eat the food, you're going to shrivel up and you're going to look worse than all the other guys, and I'm going to get in trouble for it. So I'm not letting that happen. So Daniel goes, well, just let's test it out. Just give me this, this food. Now, we call it the, the, the Daniel diet now. Anybody in the room done the Daniel diet? Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, a bunch of you guys have done it. And so we call it the Daniel diet now. He, he, he wasn't like, give me the Daniel diet. Like He had no clue, you know. So they go ahead, and he just eats the veggies, and, and you know, eats, some, eats clean, right? And he's doing his thing there. And eventually, like the guy comes back and goes, you guys look Great. You guys look better than the other guys. And so that amazing stand for God that he took, which again to us, it's just food on a table, but it's Daniel's only choice, which came out of a surrendered heart, right? I love that the sovereign God is using this as a way to show himself in the midst of it. Because here's what I love about Daniel and his friends. You ready? Especially you guys in the room who are like, oh, but if I give up my sin, if I stop looking at porn, if I stop making the dirty jokes and I stop lying to close the deal, like I'm going to miss out. What I love about Daniel and his friends is they're satisfied. Even though they had less, they're satisfied. I think it's a picture of our soul. They're not just satisfied, they're jacked, right? Like they're, they're nourished. They look better than everybody else. They're wiser than everybody else. And I just think we have to get rid of this lie that if you do it God's way, you miss out on all the fun, right? I mean, what is fun, really? Like throwing up on the floor after being drunk the night before? Is that fun? You know what I mean? Like, like there's a fun and a joy and a satisfaction that comes when we when we honor the Lord and He nourishes us. And I think that their bodies, like Daniel's jacked physique, is a picture of what our souls can be. When we honor God, He nourishes us and He comes through so powerfully. Let's go to verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And my dad spoke about Joseph last week, who God gave him the ability to do the same. And we're going to really dive into that. I'm going to summarize uh, through some of that today just because of time. But then in verse 18, it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal. Everybody say none equal. So here are these guys far from home eating lean, man. And God is just... you know, continuing to move. There's, there's just something like when you honor the Lord, he honors you, right? When you walk close to him, he's walking close to you. He's elevating you. He's doing things in your life that you could never do, even though you're surviving on less, right? The king talked with them, found unequal to Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, so they entered the king's service. Verse 20, in every matter, say every matter, every matter. of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and chanters in his whole kingdom. We're going to get into that in the weeks to come. And then I love this last verse, verse 21. This is our clincher verse. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And you're going, that's your clincher verse, Doug? What we don't know until we sort of study it is that means Daniel was there for 67 years. 67 years of God using Daniel mightily. I mean, turning the place upside down for him in Babylon because God was up to something Daniel never could have dreamed. Daniel would not have picked this. Daniel didn't want this. This wasn't Daniel's dream growing up as a good Jewish boy. But a surrendered heart made Daniel a mighty man in God's hands in a pagan culture, for decades. I think today we could sum up the whole message in just three words. Remember and surrender. Remember and surrender. The answer to our two questions. First off, what do we do when God seems to be absent against us or powerless? We remember a few things that God's ways are not our ways, that God is good, that God is God, that God is working out a great plan and that God is doing more than we can see right now. Question two, how do we live in an increasingly anti-God culture? We live God's way. We surrender to him. I think we do it because we love him, because we're in awe as we look back at the cross, empowered by his spirit, and because we know he is the air we breathe, and we get to be close to him and live satisfied in him. Next week, the story of Daniel continues. Come back. Invite some people. This is powerful stuff as we look at this very relevant to our lives today. But this week, I think if we take seriously what we've heard, man, we're going to walk in some peace and security, everybody. I've been really fired up the last few weeks as I've been prepping for this series because I look at all the things I wish were different in my life, wishing were different in my wife's health and for our church and for our nation and different struggles in my own life. And I'm just going, but God's got us. God has us. He's got a great plan. He's really big and he's got a great plan. He's sovereign. He's over it. And I want to be surrendered to a God like that, what peace and security we can walk in. I want to close with this quote. Dwight Moody said this, if an angel should come from the throne of God and tell me that I could have my will done the rest of my days on earth and that everything I wished should be carried out or that I might refer it back to God and let God's will be done in me and through me, I think in an instant I would say let the will of God be done. I cannot look into the future. I do not know what is going to happen tomorrow. In fact, I do not know what may happen before night. So I cannot choose for myself as well as God can choose for me. And it is so much better to surrender my life to God's will. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to put your trust in him today, to look to him, ask him to be your savior, to be the one that is your hope and your life, and to put his spirit in you that changes everything. We pray for you guys today. So Lord, we just come today. And God, we want to remember and surrender. We want to remember that God, you... Have a plan, that you are good, that you are God, that you are working things out that we just cannot see right now. And we wanna just surrender all of it, God. We wanna surrender, yes, the joke and the porn and the lie, but God, it's about the heart behind all that. We wanna surrender the big stuff, the loss, disappointment, the victories. At times that we've thought, I did it, We surrender that to you. The times we've thought, I failed. We surrender that to you. The times we've thought, why aren't you doing this quicker, God? We surrender that to you. You see what we can't. You know what we don't. And God, we also just pray that that surrender, God, will help us to stand out and shine brightly in an anti-God culture. We will be used to point people to the hope of salvation. If there's something in your life that you need to surrender today, can you just name that to the Lord? Get specific. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's a long, long battle with some type of a physical struggle. Maybe it's a sin struggle. Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe... It's just frustration that you are where you are in life right now. Would you just get very specific and, and, and tell the Lord today that you surrendered him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love to give you an opportunity to pray now with me. You can just say this and begin a conversation with Jesus if you'd like to. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you. It's you alone who saves me. Jesus, show me how much you love me. Show me how close you are. Thank you that you love me and want a relationship with me. I surrender my life to you, and I ask you to be my personal Savior and the sovereign God over my life. In your name I pray, amen. If you need prayer today, our team's going to be up here. and would love to pray with you. Come up for prayer. Maybe you need to surrender something. Maybe you just need support on something you're going through, prayer. Just a a loving person to stare you in the face and tell you God's with you. He has you. Please come up and receive some prayer today. And you guys can stand and let's worship together.